0: Hello and welcome to the Highwood Health Show. This is a bit of an unplanned episode in the sense that we were not thinking about, number one, making it a two-part episode, and number two, making it live. So we're broadcasting live to our Facebook group, And, uh, we're also recording for our podcast. So the thing here is last week I recorded a solo cast where I explained how to optimize your stem cell treatment. We touched upon the basics of how stem cells and stem cell therapy work, what to do before stem cell therapy, what to do after stem cell therapy, how to choose a stem cell clinic. If you haven't yet listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's episode 24. But the case is that since that episode came out, I started receiving some questions both here in the private Facebook group and also on social media and some other channels. And that made me realize that there were still a few points that needed to be addressed, which is why I wanted to make this follow-up episode or part two, as we're calling it. In it, I'll go a little bit deeper into the nutritional recommendations and why it is so important to optimize both before and after stem cell therapy. I will also share some more information about physical activity. We will talk about the importance of sleep after stem cell therapy, and I will give you some tips on proper sleep hygiene. And finally, I will answer a question that we received. But before we get started, I also want to remind you about the stem cell book I'm working on. We're still working on the official title, but what I can tell you is that it is intended to be a guide about stem cell treatments for patients. If you're interested in getting a free copy of the book once it is released, just head on over to dre.show forward slash book and help me out by filling out a three question survey. That's it. Also before we move on, I want to remind you, as I did on the previous episode, that while I talk a lot about the stem cell industry in the United States, everything that we've put together for this episode and that I will cover in the book applies to stem cell treatments everywhere. You should be able to take these recommendations and apply them wherever in the world you're seeking stem cell treatment for. And to help you do this, we've put together a few resources to go along with this episode in which you can download at dre.show forward slash stem cells. By the way, if you are least listening to this episode on your iPhone or anywhere else, you can just go to the episode's description and you will see all the links. And for those of you watching here on Facebook or on YouTube, you can see the links down below in the description. So anyway, let's get started with our follow-up episode. This is optimizing your stem cell treatment part two. And remember, you are on the Highwood health and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting-edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the Stem Cell Guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. So as I said in the introduction, I'm going to cover some things I overlooked in the previous episode, and I'm also going to go into more detail about a few others. But before we do that, let's quickly recap the last episode. First, we discussed what stem cells are and how they work in our bodies. Remember that stem cells are normally circulating in our bodies in a way looking for damaged tissues to repair, and they repair these tissues by releasing signaling molecules called cytokines. These cytokines call upon the different cell types that are needed to repair. So it is actually a common misconception to believe that stem cells simply become the damaged tissues when in fact they trigger a very large cellular response and it is this coordinated response that repairs and regenerates our tissues. After that, we spoke about what to do before stem cell therapy one of the best things you can do is to ensure that whatever health issue you have is either resolved or under control before you go in for stem cell treatment. And this point brought in a lot of questions, so I wanna clarify. This refers to the fact that you should be under treatment for that condition. So for instance, if you have been recently diagnosed with, let's say, um, Lyme disease, you should first start working with your physician in terms of controlling this infectious and infa- inflammatory response before you seek stem cell treatment. Now, this does not mean that you need to completely eradicate all signs of the condition before you can receive stem cell therapy. And in fact, you could very well receive stem cell therapy as the first approach and still notice a profound benefit. But if you want to optimize the benefits you can achieve with stem cell therapy, you will want to first control as much as you can with your physician before doing the stem cell treatment. And the same thing applies to pretty much any other condition. So for instance, uh, chronic back pain, this is a very common condition and one that several spine doctors treat with stem cell therapy. And here, the smart thing to do is to first try to control as much as you can the underlying condition, which is triggering back pain, before you start with any of the stem cell injections. So first you need to address the underlying mechanical issue, for instance, in in a spine uh, disorder. So you need to control your weight, you need to control the inflammation, you need to control your diet, and then you can go in and try to fix it with stem cell therapy, because otherwise what's going to happen is that you're just going to be getting that anti-inflammatory response from the stem cell treatment, but you're not really going to be getting any of the regenerative effects, at least long lasting, right? Now, another thing to keep in mind is that all of these recommendations are focused on getting the most out of your treatment, but your physician might have reasons to suggest acting differently, perhaps more aggressively by starting with stem cell therapy right off the bat, or more conservatively by putting off stem cell therapy to a later stage of treatment. It is impossible really for me, or anyone for that matter, to give absolute recommendations which apply to everyone. And for this reason, it is smart to remind you that nothing in this podcast is ever intended to be medical advice and you should take everything you learn here and discuss it with your doctors. And if you don't have a stem cell knowledgeable physician, I'm happy to provide a referral. You can find a link for that in this episode's description or by going over to Dr. E. show forward slash stem cells. Now, I also mentioned in the previous episode that the nutritional aspect is often overlooked by most physicians dealing in regenerative medicine. <laughs> Truth be told, I also almost overlooked it by just literally glazing over it. And this is a very, very important piece of the puzzle when you wanna get the most out of your stem cell treatment. So let's go a little bit more specific. First, let's start with the obvious. It is so important to always remember the fundamentals. It seems like we're always looking for a magic pill or superfood that will fix all of our nutritional deficiencies, but really that's never the case. In fact, more often than not, it is not so much about adding anything special to the diet as it is about removing the harmful things that we're consuming. So, for instance, I see a lot of people worried about the price of grass-fed beef or getting their children to eat more fresh veggies. And while these are very valid concerns and things we should definitely strive to do, It would be far more beneficial to first remove the harmful things that we're eating so think of this case and it is a very common case among the autism community for instance as some of you know it is recommended for children with autism to follow a gluten-free casein-free diet right well it turns out that many of these kids are also very picky eaters so meal times are usually very difficult and more often than not Parents of these children, when they're told this, they immediately head on to their local Whole Foods market or, or whatever applies and they start buying gluten-free everything and organic veggies and whatnot. But this is, you know, this is not bad by any means, but the first step should be to stop consuming processed foods, for instance, or sugar or artificial sweeteners. As always, it is more important to remove everything that's harmful and then incorporate the better options. Just like you cannot out train a bad diet, no amount of kale or goji berries will undo the damage caused by processed frankenfoods. So, step number one is to remove as many potential contributors to inflammation as possible. The obvious ones are everything that's processed, everything that's deep fried and basically everything that's sold at the checkout counter in the grocery store all those sweets and chips and sodas etc all of those things have got to go then you may go a step further and start removing some of the common triggers of inflammation in our diets so the smartest thing to do and something i normally encourage pa- uh, patients to do is to follow the Whole30 diet. There are, there are numerous books and uh, cookbooks following the Whole30 diet plan. And I like this one in particular for this because it effectively eliminates what could potentially be inflammation-causing foods like uh, dairy and eggs and grains and many others. And yes, I said eggs, which is surprising because my family eats about 30 eggs or more per week. And it's only my wife or baby and I. But the reality is that eggs can trigger inflammation in many of us and because it is a low-grade inflammatory response You don't really feel it unless you completely remove everything that may cause such a response for a while And then slowly start incorporating them back into your diet Same is true for dairy and for most grains Uh, There's another excellent book on this by Dr. Gundry It's called The Plant Paradox and in it he talks about the anti-nutrients that most plants have And he explains it very clearly in a way that makes sense because in order to survive and reproduce plants have to make themselves and their seeds resilient and they do so by creating these anti-nutrients in hopes that humans and other animals won't eat them which is why if you want to eat grains and legumes it is recommended to either sprout them or at least soak them overnight and this process will remove some, if not all of their anti-nutrients, for instance. Uh, but in any case, my recommendation, especially as you prepare for a stem cell treatment, is to completely remove them for a few weeks. Like I said, I recommend following the Whole30 eating plan to guide you, which reminds me as well, uh, there's another book and it encourages a similar elimination diet Uh encourages to abstain from most of these common immune reactive foods Uh, if i recall correctly it is by jj virgin and it's called the virgin diet i think uh, or something along those lines i'll I'll make sure to link that in in the description below and the show notes and that's also a very good resource to get started now while i emphasize that doing this for a few weeks before stem cell therapy it is also very, very important to follow a very similar and even this same plan after stem cell therapy. And think about it this way. When you receive a stem cell therapy, you will receive fresh, vibrant stem cells in your body, right, and these stem cells will find damaged cells and tissues and start releasing cytokines to call and to recruit the appropriate cells and these cells will repair and regenerate now these cells will need nourishment and raw materials to do this if you had a choice where would you rather have these cells grab their nutrients from clean nutrient-rich foods or processed crap i know which one i would choose And secondly, as well, you must also remember that the most important source of inflammation is our diets, period. There's there's no other thing that comes even remotely close to that. And the last thing you will want to do is to create more inflammation that will take away some of the stem cells you just received. Makes sense, right? So what else do I recommend in terms of nutrition? Hydration. Hydration is incredibly important and again, incredibly neglected. In fact, most of the time when we're feeling hungry, it is really thirst that's driving that response. Our body knows that certain foods have a lot of water and so it triggers those cravings so that it can go and get the water it needs. Remember that our bodies are made up mostly of water and water is what our cells are filled with and it's a medium through which they communicate to one another and through which all of their biochemical reactions occur. And the less water we have, the less effectively our cells will function now the easiest way to stay hydrated is to drink enough plain water if you want to be fancy you can add some electrolytes to it i will sometimes do that especially in the morning after waking up because adding electrolytes helps your cells absorb the water more efficiently and so it's always a good idea to do this early in the morning but don't overdo it don't overdo the electrolytes if you're adding them But the important thing here to take home is to drink more water. You don't have necessarily to add the electrolytes, but you do have to increase the amount of water you're drinking. And um, I think that covers the nutrition side of it. Now let's talk about physical activity or movement. Truth is our bodies need to move constantly. And this is important not only in preparation or right after a stem cell treatment, but all the time. Physical activity has been shown time and time again that it can improve our moods, boost our metabolism, release several hormones, strengthen our bones, our joints, maintain our muscles, prevent osteoporosis, and really prevent many other chronic diseases. But in the context of today's topic, I want to emphasize the importance that physical activity has at a cellular and molecular level. It turns out that exercise causes changes in our cells that can effectively turn on and off certain genes, and by doing so, it affects how our cells create proteins. These proteins can be enzymes which help speed up certain functions, or they can be different transporters which help move glucose and other molecules in and out of cells, or they can even help protect from other harmful toxins. But But that's not all. You see, studies have shown that exercise induces changes in our monocytes, which is an important type of white blood cell. And this, in turn, causes a reduction in the body's own inflammatory state, which, as we already know, is a major risk factor for most chronic disease. Now, before you start thinking that you need to join a gym in order to benefit from stem cell treatment, keep in mind that you can start simply by becoming more active throughout the day. The most important thing to do is to not be sedentary for long periods of time. This is something, in fact, that even regular gym goers are very guilty of. I was very guilty of this for a long time. And it basically means that it's not enough to go to workout for 45 minutes in the morning and then go sit in the car for an hour, get to work, sit there for five, six, seven, eight hours, get back in the car for another hour and then sit down again at home to wind down. The research has shown that we need to move approximately every 15 to 20 minutes to help our body circulate our blood, our lymph, uh, help our joints and muscles stay active, to promote the cellular benefits we just mentioned, and to avoid cellular sluggishness. So what I do now, which I learned from Brian Johnson of uh, Optimize, is to use timer on my watch. And it goes off at exactly 16 minutes and 40 seconds when I'm working. And when it does, I simply stand up, shake off, maybe do a few squats or some simple stretches, a few deep breaths, and get back to work. It's a quick enough break that I stay in the zone, but it also allows my body to move and avoid sedentarism. And the reason it's uh, 16 minutes and 40 seconds, well, that's exactly a thousand second cycles. So it's just a nice round number. But most of the time, adding this kind of reminder is a great first step in the right direction to improve your physical activity. And then, depending on the condition you're seeking stem cell treatment for, you might start adding some additional exercises to your morning routine, maybe some yoga, maybe going to the gym, maybe Pilates, but always consult with your physician first. And what about orthopedic or sports injuries? Well. In those cases, your doctor will probably start you off with some physical therapy. This is incredibly important. Um, although they may also opt to go straight for a stem cell injection and then do the physical therapy right afterwards, what I'm trying to say is that it is very, very important to always have physical therapy either before and or after. Uh, that school of thought that what was needed was complete immobilization has been dead for several years. The sooner you're able to move, the better. And now that we get the importance of uh, movement, let's go to the third point that I wanna make and that I wanna go deeper into in this episode. And this is another area that has gained a lot of momentum recently in the wellness arena, and that is sleep. Long gone are the days of the hustle where overworked bosses and employees and parents and everyone would proclaim that they lived on three or four hours of sleep and even wore that as as a badge of honor. Today, we finally know better. Sleep has been described as the latest biohack. The more you sleep, the more you can squeeze out of your waking hours. We hear of athletes, for instance, like uh, Roger Federer. He aims for 12 hours of sleep a day, for instance. I mean, no wonder he's still winning Rans Lams at uh, close to 40. So there's a lot of things that happen when we sleep. In very simple terms, you can think of sleep as our body's maintenance mode. It is during sleep that our neurons, for instance, they strengthen their neural connections. Uh, and that's the reason why if you recall your college or your high school days, do you remember when you were cramming for a big test and you would study late into the night and suddenly it felt like you were not remembering anything you had just read. And so at that point you would just give up and go to bed. But then come the next morning, you would find out that you could recall most of it. Well. What happens here is that during sleep, your brain continued working, creating the necessary neuronal connections for you to recall that which you had read the previous night. Sadly, as I'm sure you found out in the next test, those new pieces of knowledge did not last long in your memory unless you reviewed them again in a process called spaced repetition, but that's the subject of a completely different episode. What's important for you to remember now is that sleep is crucial for tissues and for our cells to be repaired. And the better the sleep, the better the repair. You need to have enough REM and deep sleep throughout the night. There's no point in spending 10 hours in bed if you spend them all in light sleep. Once again, just like nutrition and exercise, sleep is something that we need to observe and protect all the time. But it is crucially important in the weeks leading up to a stem cell treatment as it is in the weeks afterwards. So here's my recommendations for proper sleep hygiene. In order to plan accordingly, You need to think backwards i know you think you can function with less than eight hours of sleep but the likelihood of that being true is incredibly slim it has been shown that only two percent of the entire world's population is able to do that so if i was a betting man i would bet you need at least eight hours per night so let's use eight hours in this example and like I said, let's start with the end in mind. As a matter of fact, Brian Johnson, uh, he also says that a perfect day or a masterpiece day, as he calls them, starts the night prior. And I have to agree that. So this means that if you have to wake up at, say, 6 a.m., you need to be falling asleep by 10 p.m. And if we consider this, it means that you probably should be in bed, ready to sleep by 9.30 p.m. And in a minute, I'll share with you some of the things you need for a proper night of sleep. But first, let's continue with this exercise. So one of the most common mistakes that many of us are guilty of is to be exposed to blue light stimuli prior to bed. This completely disrupts our melatonin cycle and makes it harder for us to achieve a very deep or even restorative sleep. For this reason, it is recommended to have a digital curfew of at least an hour. Prior of your in-bed hour. So using our example here that would mean that your digital devices be it your iPhone, your iPad, your laptop, your TV, they must all be turned off by 8.30 p.m. If you use for instance your phone as an alarm make sure that you put it in airplane mode not just in silence since it's constant pinging for a cell tower and or Wi-Fi will also disrupt your sleep. So as you can see, your eight hours of sleep have just turned into nine and a half hours of uh, between preparation and sleeping and resting and and that 's the way it should be i 'm thinking right now that there 's just too much information about sleep that I will have to do another episode just in sleep. but for now let 's wrap it up here first. Let me just say that if you followed these recommendations that I just gave and you turned off your devices an hour prior to going to bed, you went to bed 30 minutes prior to your planned sleep hour, and then you slept your eight hours, you will not only feel like a million bucks, but you will also promote the production of your own endogenous stem cells, regulating your immune function, improving your metabolism, and many other benefits. So before we wrap up on sleep, here's a few practical, actionable recommendations. First, Ensure that you sleep in a pitch dark room. If you don't have blackout drapes, get a mask. It is that important. Number two, the room temperature must be cool, close to cold. And this is something that my wife and I don't uh, always agree on. She says that she feels like she's in a freezer. Uh, This is the way that it helps us achieve better, deeper, more restorative sleep. I try to aim in between 65 and 69 degrees Fahrenheit, which is roughly about 18 and a half to 20 degrees Celsius. Then don't drink too much water an hour before bedtime, unless you wanna be standing up to go pee. Um, don't eat dinner less than three hours before bedtime as well. So if you're thinking of going to bed at 9.30, then you need to finish eating dinner at 6.30, at the very latest, the earlier the better. Because if not, what's gonna happen is that your body, your gut will still be processing that meal, will still be using up that energy, and it'll be harder for you to reach a deeper level of sleep. Remember, a lot of the times people will fall asleep, but if your body's still performing other functions, you're not getting to that restorative REM and deep sleeps that you need, right? So keep that in mind next time that you're planning out for a late dinner also avoid caffeine for at least six hours before bedtime i normally after 12 noon i will only drink decaf and truth the matter what happens here is that caffeine has about a five hour half-life and what what half-life means is that if it has a five hour half-life it means that it takes our body five hours to reduce the concentration of it in half it doesn't mean that five hours later it is it is completely gone it means that five hours later it's only at half of what it was so if you take two espressos at say 3 p.m by 8 p.m you will still have the amount of caffeine of one espresso so that's why we a lot of the time struggle to sleep and caffeine is not just in coffee uh certain teas have caffeine uh most sodas have caffeine not to mention obviously energy drinks so keep that in mind Number six, naps are your friend. Seriously, naps are a great way to refresh and reboot your day. Try one of Dr. Michael Bruce's um, Napa Latte if you find it hard to nap just for a few minutes. I will also link to those uh, video explaining what a Napa Latte is. I find that a lot of people... They don't necessarily take naps because, for instance, my wife, she doesn't like taking a nap because she feels that she sleeps for a little bit too long and then she wakes up a little bit cranky or very cranky. And and true the matter, what you can do and what Dr. Bruce suggests is to drink um, a cup of coffee. Right before, like a small cup of coffee, uh, right before you take your nap. And it takes about 20 minutes for that caffeine to kick in. So if you drink it right before and you cool it down a little bit and you drink it right before and then you take a nap, you will be woken up at about 20 to 25 minutes later. And that'll give you energy for about four to five hours. So that's a great way to do it. Uh, I'll link to the video. He explains it so much better than I do. But, but in essence, that's, that's what you need to do. So. Let's recap so far on my recommendations before and after a stem cell treatment. First, it's important to be under treatment by a physician who's trained and experienced in the condition you're seeking treatment for. Second, you must be mindful of your diet. Diet is the number one source of inflammation and controlling it is literally at our fingertips. The most important thing to remember is that the first step should be to avoid those things causing harm before trying to incorporate any superfood. Third, we're meant to move constantly and consistently. I mentioned my thousand uh, second timer, which I use during my working hours in addition to my morning workouts, but you do what works for you. Fourth, sleep. You must sleep eight hours to function properly. And no, you're not going to get more done by sleeping less. In fact, the more you sleep, the more effective that you become during your waking hours. So make sure you're getting the rest your body needs to effectively repair and regenerate. I hope this information answers some of the questions from last week's episode. I also hope that this gives you a better understanding of the fact that stem cell therapy does not work on its own. In fact, if you don't do the work, stem cells won't work for you either. Okay, so we've already gone a little bit longer than I wanted to on this episode, but before we wrap up, I do want to answer one question I received via Facebook from a lady named Alice. She lives in Texas in the United States, and here's what she sent me via messenger. And she says, my husband just had IV stem cells at his chiropractors. I told him they were not real stem cells, but he went ahead and got it. What do you think they put in his body? Well, I'll go ahead and read to you what I said to her via Facebook, but before I do, I want to emphasize the fact that I have nothing against chiropractors as health professionals. As a matter of fact, I go to the chiropractors and I do believe that they fill a very specific and important need in the health field, but I do have something against health professionals who offer treatments outside of their scope of practice. And yes, in this case, the chiropractor was acting outside of his scope of practice since he was the one who diagnosed the need and administered a stem cell treatment. Both of those things have to be done by a medical doctor, not just signed off by a medical director, but determined and supervised by a physician, a physician to whom this lady's husband never even spoke to. As I said before, this is clearly outside a chiropractor's scope of practice. And for that reason, I'm very vocal against it, but let's be very clear that this quote unquote doctors are a minority within their profession. Most chiropractors I know are incredibly ethical and professional and they would never do something like this. Now that we clear that up, here's what I told her. I said, the cell product that your husband was probably treated with, in fact, does contain very few, if any, live cells but it does not mean that it's useless. Depending on the exact product, it could still offer some therapeutic benefit. What you need to be careful with are infections, both from poor quality control in the manufacture of the product and in the lack of training in sterile technique from a chiropractor. Uh, Very thankfully, nothing really bad happened to this patient. He had no serious side effects. He also had no benefit. So the only loss was financial. But let me just tell you all that it really, really infuriates me when I learn of these things happening in our industry, because after all these years in it, I can see the potential it holds and the tremendous benefit it can bring to so many people. But with these doctors ripping patients off, I'm afraid that the regulatory agencies might shut the door entirely as it has just happened in Canada, for instance. So please, if you're thinking of a stem cell treatment, please, please, please make sure that you get it from a doctor who's trained in the condition you're seeking treatment for. And if you're ever in doubt, please reach out to my team and to me and send us your question via our website or our social media accounts, and we'll do our best to point you in the right direction. Also, make sure you sign up to receive a free copy of my book at doctoreshow forward slash book and learn what to look for when considering a stem cell provider. So I think that's it for now. Uh, It's time to wrap this up. We definitely went a bit longer than I expected, but I hope you found it useful and informative. Be sure please to share this with your friends and family, especially if anyone you know is considering stem cell treatment. And uh, for those of you listening to the episode as a podcast, you can find the complete show notes for this episode linked below in the episode's description. I would also like to remind you that my mission now is to educate patients and physicians alike as it pertains to stem cell treatments. I want to continue helping our industry to grow, but like I said previously, while I do want more stem cell treatments to be available, our main challenge right now is for them to be safe. With this in mind, we've put together a few resources for you on my website at dr.e.show forward slash stem cells. There are some guides to what you need to do before and after stem cell therapy. There's also more nutritional advice than what we discussed here. And even the ability for you to request a referral to a reputable stem cell clinic, among other things. Just head on over to dr.e.show forward slash stem cells for these resources and that's it for episode 25 thank you all once again for tuning in i look forward to seeing you here next week i am dr e the stem cell guy you are on the highway to health and i'm your guide to get you there thank you for listening to dr e's highway to health show helping you learn the science of living ageless did you enjoy the show please like share and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to D-R-E dot show. Again, that's Dr. E dot show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless.